0: There was a lot of grinding on finding the right product market fit, the right vision, and long, long, long nights of coding. This is version one,
1: a new podcast from Code Sandbox about the product development journey of some of the web's most talked about tools and resources from the makers behind them. Meet Matt Bielman. Matt is the co-founder and CEO of Netlify, the modern platform for high-performance websites and apps. To date, Netlify has onboarded over a million businesses and developers, with over 300,000 sites created on the platform per month. Dozens of big companies use Netlify, including Figma, Shopify, MailChimp, and Nike. But to get to the heart of the story of Netlify and how it came to be, you have to know more about Matt. It's the year 2000. iTunes just made its debut at the Macworld Expo in San Francisco. The PlayStation 2, it was the hottest selling video game console on the market. And Matt? Well, he was a student at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. But for someone who would one day found one of the Internet's fastest growing development platforms, you might assume he was knee deep in code and computer science, right?
0: I was studying musicology at the University of Copenhagen with a side in comparative literature and started on a master's in cultural studies. Got an internship at the main publisher in Denmark, a public service broadcaster called the Danish Radio where I started working as a a musical journalist. Classical music,
1: contemporary classical music, jazz. Think almost famous, but instead of following rock bands and meeting Kate Hudson, Matt was on his own journey.
0: I was really at the time finishing up my studies, getting ready to write my master's thesis and working as a musical journalist, doing a lot of concert reviews, album reviews, writing, and so on. But at the side, I always had programming as, as sort of one of my big passions and my biggest hobby. I got a Commodore 64 back when I was about 10 years old and instantly got extremely fascinated with the idea that you could just write some letters and then you would get this interactive world in a computer that could do stuff. And never got tired of that. Wow.
1: You have to understand that the world of personal computers back then was nothing like it was now. No apps, no internet even. Just a cursor, a blank screen, and if you were lucky, a little knowledge of DOS or BASIC. In 2004, after a pretty successful run as a music journalist, Matt moved to Spain and settled in Madrid, which, unfortunately, was not really a hot market for writing about music in Danish.
0: So I sort of had to start coming up with a plan B if I wanted to to stay there. So I went back to just my passion for programming and for building stuff and started building a couple of projects. I got an offer working remotely for a Denver based startup back in the days around like the time where everybody were either getting into mobile gaming or social networking and they were a social networking startup. I became became a Rails engineer there and quickly became like one of the core engineers building out that beta. The company itself didn't really become a thing, but it led me to, to then get hired by a Spanish web company, starting out as a senior Rails developer, then moving into a technical lead role, then into a technical director role, and then I became the, the CTO of the company.
1: That company was Domestica. Today, Domestica is a massive online community for creatives. But they started out building websites for small to medium businesses all over
0: Europe. We would build something like 100 websites a week. I led the product and engineering team that built the whole platform that designers would use to to do the design with, that clients would use for content management, and that powered every single website from initial brief all the way to production hosting.
1: This gave Matt an idea to create a new cloud-based CMS service with Domestica, which became his first business, WebPop.
0: It came from our experience in Domestica of building this this internal platform for the service part of the business, right? Like so we had built a platform that was serving tens of thousands of sites from everything including commercial pages or e-commerce or community pages or private areas or all the functionalities that you would typically build for small to medium businesses. And we thought it would be really cool to take our whole experience of building even several iterations of that internal platform and then build a cloud hosted CMS service that other agencies and other professionals could use when they were building sites for for their clients to get some of the same efficiencies of being able to really control the design and build real experiences, but do it in a really efficient manner and and without having to worry about the infrastructure components and the operational components or any of that.
1: WebPOP was a hit, but Matt was already thinking well into the
0: future. We built out WebPOP and got to a point where we had some traction, had some cool clients like The Guardian or United Healthcare and the like, and people were building real stuff with it. And I was starting to see that while I was really proud of what we were building with WebPOP from an experience standpoint and how it worked, I started feeling that the architecture of the web would fundamentally move away from this idea of one monolithic platform one sort of monolithic application for each website, whether multi-tenant or not.
1: Matt had a vision. And while WebPop was good for now, his sights were set on something much higher. But how would he get there? Maybe with a balloon? More from Matt after the break. And we're back. Matt has a choice to make. WebPop is doing really well and has some big name clients and it's gaining momentum. But he also sees a new opportunity. Actually, he sees three new opportunities. I'll let Matt explain.
0: One was the emergence of GitHub that really sort of made version control a core primitive for how developers work together and also front-end developers. And at the same time, the modern browser really went from being more of a document viewer to really becoming an operating system where you could actually like write applications that ran in in JavaScript and today even WebAssembly. And you started having like this API economy of, of services like Stripe and so on, available directly from the browser. There was suddenly something happening where it started really making sense to think of completely decoupling the front end presentation layer, having a, a built and deployment process just for that layer, and then turning the backend into not this big monolithic application, but all of these clearly defined APIs and services So I started getting this feeling that while I was proud of WebPOP and while I saw real potential in building a business around it, I felt that WebPOP's architecture represented the past and not the future. If you really embraced that architecture of completely decoupling the front end presentation layer from the API layer, how would the architecture look like and what would the tooling look like that developers would need to build and ship with confidence? And then I, then I thought, okay, if I have sort of a vision for how that would look like, what would the smallest possible version of that look like?
1: It would look like a balloon, a bit balloon, which is what Matt ended up calling this new platform. Matt used some of the infrastructure from WebPOP, spent weeks building an MVP and adding subscription and payment features, and did a small launch to get feedback from a group of early adopters.
0: This feedback was crucial is this minimal first step a step towards something bigger or is it just something that doesn't really resonate? And what I learned quickly when I put it out there was that it resonated, right? That the right kind of early adopter that shared this view of the front end layer decoupling into its own thing and being much more of a serious software development platform, they really got it and quickly became interested. Once BitBalloon was out there and I started seeing that it had some traction and and that there was something there, I started reaching out and talking to one of my best friends back from Denmark, Chris, who I've known way back since since high school.
1: The Chris that Matt's talking about here is Christian Bach, the current president at Netlify.
0: We used to go to a lot of jazz concerts together and think that someday we would build a jazz club.
1: Like Matt, Chris also had built a career for himself in tech. He started his own production company called Capsize Productions and later sold that to a full-service ad agency where Chris became a partner and the chief digital officer.
0: Not too shabby, right?
1: With BitBalloon on the rise, this was the perfect time for Chris and Matt to work together.
0: Chris could obviously see that the idea of going to his client and saying, do you want to have something that's faster, simpler, cheaper, and more secure, seemed like a, a really clear sell. But what we could see on the other hand was like, if he went to his team in his agency world and said, let's just go build with this architecture. Then we sort of also could really see like, why isn't everybody doing that right now? Everybody wasn't
1: doing that right now because, well, it's a lot of work. We're not talking about a simple out-of-the-box implementation here. You have to put together your own CI/CD pipeline, object story, CDN acceleration, figure out cache invalidation, figure out how to do atomic deploys, figure out how to trigger builds when your headless CMS updates, figure out how to integrate that headless CMS into the build process. I mean, I'm getting winded just saying all of that. How do you even package all that into something that businesses can
0: easily use? So Chris and I really started talking through what would the product look like? that could really give developers one solution for that whole workflow, for actually building with this new architecture. And what we came up with there was the blueprint for for Netlify. And then we worked on building on top of what I had from BitBalloon and adding this whole workflow layer to it, and then launched Netlify out of private beta in, in March 2015, just the two of us bootstrapping.
1: After the break, Netlify version one. We're back. Matt and Chris just launched Netlify out of private beta. Congratulations, it's a startup. But how exactly are they going to convince people to use it? Word of mouth? Eh, That only goes so far. Twitter? Well, that could help, but you need more than just Twitter. What you need are circles. Not Google Play circles, though. Do you remember Google Play with the circles for the little social networks? Yeah,
0: neither do I. It starts with a core group of early adopters that are trying new things and really pushing the leading edge. And then they start sort of showing the world how that's done and then there's like a next circle of adopters that start picking up and so on so we made a list of 20 people or organizations or agencies that we had to get in front of and just manually had to find a way to to show the product to and get to interact with it, so we got it in front of those people, and, and a lot of those became like really early evangelists, some of those became like our early angel investors, and that became like a really important starting point, and then early on, we started also really a strategy around building out content marketing, right, we saw that because this was a really new approach to building for the web, there was a really big need for developers to be able to read about how to actually build in this way. So we set an ambitious goal of finding one way or another to publishing two blog posts every week and just hammered at that. And then the layer on top of that was then also open source adoption. So early on, we really made sure that we gave as much as we could away for free to open source projects so they could use this for their documentation sites and public-facing sites, both because we, we always liked the idea of being a really active participant in the open-source community and giving back there, but also because, like of course, the main maintainers of big open-source projects are some of the big voices in the developer community.
1: While it may sound like getting traction for Netlify
0: went pretty smoothly, there were also some setbacks. We were two people, right? And, and as the main technical co-founder, it, built like an, an edge network and a CI/CD pipeline and a CLI tool and an API and even started an open source CMS project around this and had to produce two blog posts a week in one way or another. There was also no operations team or anything, right? Like if a pager went off, it went to me. <laughs> and if a, if an enterprise customer wanted to talk to that dedicated account manager, there were no other dedicated account manager than, than me and Chris. There was, like, a lot of just really grinding on finding the right product market fit, the right vision, and long, long, long nights of coding. I mean, it's hard to build a SaaS service, right? He's right. It is. But
1: Netlify really started to capture people's imaginations, and luckily, the market responded in turn. In 2015, Matt met Vitaly Friedman, the founder of the popular design website Smashing Magazine. When Matt helped Smashing migrate from their old WordPress setup to Netlify, that's when business really took off.
0: That article in many ways became the kickstart for us to go out and raise our first round of financing. We got like a really great group of angel investors on board, like Tom Preston-Werner from GitHub, the founders of Heroku, founders of Rackspace Cloud, and so on. That really came in with with a lot of of experience, and and again gave us a lot of validation of like, there's something, we are onto something here. This is something real. And of course, like closing that initial seed funding round and being able to start growing the team, hiring the first engineers and so on. That was a big milestone. In the early days, of course, you have to constantly question, is this the right thing? But I think there was two key components. One, one was that I really from the depth of my God, had the feeling that we were onto something, that this category change would happen and it was right. And the other was that getting to do that with my best friend, Chris, in San Francisco together and really pour ourselves into building something, that was also just in itself such a rewarding process that it wasn't so much about just where this journey would take us, but also about the journey itself really being rewarding. It's been a really exciting journey with a lot of big milestones along the way.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of version one. For more information about the show, visit us at codesandbox.io forward slash version one. That's all one word. Or you can send us a tweet at codesandbox.com. This podcast is produced by Maurice Cherry with engineering and editing from Resonate Recordings. The song you're listening to now, that's I Don't Mind from Particle House, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Matt Bielman and Kelly Ten from Netlify and of course the entire team at Code Sandbox. I'm Maurice Cherry and this is Version 1. See you next time.